The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, into, take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So at this time of year, as we gear up, I don't know about you, but it's, it's one of the greatest times of the year. You know, we have Thanksgiving, the holiday season, and then Christmas, of course, coming up. And one of those joyous occasions as we come together is because we come together precisely as family. Right? It's one of the great things about the Christmas season is that we get together, our, our relatives come from afar, we gather together as family, and we rejoice, and it's a great occasion. But on the downside as well, this time of year, what makes it hard, is that we're also with our families. Right? <laughs> because we drive each other crazy, don't we? And our families, as much as we love them, we get on each other's nerves. And none of our families are perfect. Families are our greatest joy, and they're also our greatest heartache, too. They are. And especially as joyful as this time of year is, it's also this time of year when we begin to see, for many of us, what is lacking in our own families as well. This is when we begin to miss those who have died, right? We miss the people that have gone away, and we feel it, especially this time of year, and we begin to get envious at times when we look at other families. You, you ever experienced that? You look at other families like, oh, wow, look at that beautiful, perfect family over there. I wish I was like that. Oh, I wish my spouse, my husband and wife, I wish we loved each other like that. I wish my kids were well-behaved like those perfect kids over there in the front pew. Right? 
celebrated. Even as priests, we play that dumb game, oh, I wish my parish was like that over there. I wish it was there, right? Sometimes priests will even confide in me, oh, Father, I wish I was holy as you, you know. I said, no, you can't, it's impossible. You weren't given these amazing gifts. You can't, just go, go away. Well, we play that dumb game, don't we? This envious game, oh, I can't be, why can't I be like them? Why can't my family be perfect like them? But none of us are perfect. And especially this time of year, we, we especially experience the lack and the, and the dif- dysfunction of our families. It's nothing new. Nothing new. And we see this especially in our readings today, and it's all layered with this idea. Now again, to get the richness out of the scripture, we have to first put on our Jewish lenses. Then the details begin to emerge. So we in the first in the gospel reading, we have the beautiful story of how Jesus was born. Notice it begins. This is how the birth of Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed, keyword, betrothed to Joseph, before they, were, before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, again, first century lenses. In the Jewish culture in the first century, there was a two-step process of marriage. So you first get betrothed. That's not our equivalent of engagement, because today we get engaged, but you're not married yet. But in the Jewish context, when you're betrothed, you're legally married. So that's the first step. So Mary and Joseph are legally married here. But what we find Mary here, it's the second part that hasn't happened yet. Because the second part of the marriage rite for the Jewish people was a seven-day wedding party. So they're betrothed, and in the next seven days, the Jews partied. Isn't that amazing? Today, we just have one day. We have a big wedding ceremony, right? All happens in one day. And remember, the average price today of what we spend as Americans on a wedding day, on one day, guess how much we spend? $33,981. That's the average for one wedding day, by the way. One. And all the... uh, the fathers of the brides here, like shaking their heads. Mm-hmm. I signed that check. Yep, I know what it means. But for the Jewish people, there were seven days, and during that time period, as they partied, the husband would go off, and he would begin to build a home for his new bride. So he would literally build a home with his bare hands, preparing for his home. And then, as the as the seven days are progressing of, of partying every night with the family and friends in the whole town. On that last day, it it culminates in a huge procession to the home built by the hands of the the husband. So imagine now, they're beginning this procession in, they're rejoicing, they're carrying the the bride and the groom, they're singing, they're, they're, they're laughing, they're joyful, as they literally process to the wedding room now. Because here's where the second part of the wedding now finally is fulfilled. The husband will lead his new bride into the home that he built with his bare hands. And it is here that he will lay for the first time with his bride in that marital embrace, in that marital act where the two now becomes one flesh. It is there, here, properly in marriage, only in marriage. They become one and the marriage is finished. Boom. This is where, by the way, it was more prevalent back a couple decades ago, but remember that image, you still get vestiges now, 
But you know that, that silly image when uh, after the wedding party is done and then the bride and groom go back to the hotel room normally and then the husband will joyfully pick up his, pick up his wife as he crosses the threshold of the door. You know that image? It was more so prevalent a couple of decades ago, so I don't know if young people still have that idea. But that's a vestige of this, of the husband now carrying his bride with his own hands and then walking into the wedding room, right? Where he will take his wife for the first time, right? So that's the whole, that's the whole image. But notice now, so before this took place, Mary is pregnant. Imagine the confusion, the heartache, the anger Joseph would have felt at this moment. Because what's the logical conclusion? Mary just cheated on me. She's pregnant. We haven't yet had relations because that, hasn't, that part hasn't come yet. So he's absolutely heartbroken. Right? The, my bride, my love, cheated on me. And so Joseph, even though he's angry, heartbroken, confused, it said that he's a righteous man and unwilling to expose her in shame. Because remember, According to Jewish law at this time, a woman caught in adultery and found guilty, it is lawful now to stone her to death. Now do you see why Joseph didn't want to do it publicly? Because even though he loved Mary, and even though in his eyes that Mary has just betrayed him in the most vile way, Joseph wanted to do it in the shadows, so Mary would not face that gruesome death. Confusion, heartbreak, from his perspective, human dysfunction. That's how his family begins. And then as he's going to bed, it says that he receives a dream, a visit in his dream from an angel. And he says to Joseph, and begin to now understand why the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For she did not cheat on you. For this child in her womb now was conceived by the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit. This is a miraculous birth. Take her into your home now. Because, and the angel continues, and the angel quotes here. It should have sounded familiar to us. The Lord has said through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. That quote that the angel uses here in the gospel is a direct quote from the first reading we heard today. From Isaiah chapter 7. Now what is happening in Isaiah chapter 7? So the prophet Isaiah is preaching in the year around the 8th century BC. So 800 years before Christ, or for us, 2800 years ago. And what was happening at this time period was that, again, human dysfunction on full display. So remember the Jewish people are split up into 12 tribes. They were created to be a, a, a witness of God's family. The 12 tribes, they were called to become one family, but in 12 tribes. But they began to fight. Divisions. Much like our families. 
So the ten tribes of the north unite, and they become the tribe, a kingdom of Israel. The southern two kingdoms unite and become the, the kingdom of Judah. So the Jewish people have separated. Ten in the north, two in the south. And at this time period, Ahaz is the king of the kingdom of Judah, the southern two kingdoms. And he's in complete distress. Because the ten northern tribes have just united with the neighboring pagan empire of the Syrians in order to unite and to destroy the southern kingdom. In other words, a family feud, a fight. Imagine, this is civil war. Ten tribes in the north, their blood uniting, they, they, were so, they so hated the southern kingdom, they teamed up with the Syrians in order to destroy now their own flesh and blood. Family infighting, family dysfunction, heartache, confusion. And so Ahaz, rightly so, is absolutely distressed. He's outgunned, Outnumbered, what is he going to do? Enter Isaiah now in the first reading. Isaiah says, in, 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 if you read the whole entire chapter, he says, don't worry. God will come. God will send you a sign. He has not abandoned you during this difficult time. And is there here now in the 8th century BC that the sign that Ahaz will receive will be, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. The direct quote the angel gives to Joseph now, eight centuries later. In other words, God now enters into the human history, satisfying the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the ancient Jews. Mary now, being a virgin, becomes the fulfillment of God's promise to Ahaz, eight centuries before. God will break in to human history precisely in the midst of human dysfunction now. Now, isn't that beautiful? Imagine now, God created the entire universe. He created everything, this marvelous world that we live in. He created all of this. He could have chosen any other way to enter into our history. But notice how he breaks in precisely in the midst of that which is our greatest pain and our greatest joy, our families. That's the heart of our, of our joy and our pain, right there. And God enters into that. You know, Kathy and, and her volunteers have beautifully set up our, our nativity scene. You know who created this, who invented the nativity scene? St. Francis of Assisi in the 13th century. He made the first in history, the nativity scene. Why? Because St. Francis started meditating upon this great mystery that God would become man and enter and be born like this. It completely boggled his mind. Why enter into history like this? And so he created the nativity scene and he just stared at it and prayed over it trying to comprehend, God, why are you entering into history like this? Why are you entering into our human family, our broken, messed up, 
selfish human families. That's a baby. And he created a nativity scene, and all the world over, we have the beauty of this. Ask yourselves and ponder and pray, why? Do not let this event fall victim to familiarity. Because if you've been Christian for a long time, you hear these stories well, you sing the hymns, and, it, and we lose the force of this. My friends, this is not mundane. Why does God enter into this? One idea to help me comprehend, and as, I, as, as I was praying about, because all of the readings for all of Advent is all, all about this event. And immediately the image of European monarchies came to mind. Here's what I mean. So think back to medieval times in Europe, where many of our ancestors have come from. If you remember, when there was, before nation states, there were kingdoms, right? The kingdoms of, of Spain, kingdoms of France, kingdoms of England. And one of the practices that the monarchs would do was that they would marry off their sons and daughters to a rival kingdom, wouldn't they? I mean, if you study uh, medieval history, you know this practice, or you see it in movies, where the king of Spain has a beautiful daughter, for example, and then to unite and to forge their new families, he marries off his beautiful daughter to the prince of France, for example, right? And so the princess of, of Spain and the prince of France come together, and they become one. Why did, they, why did they do that? Why did they practice this for centuries in their kingdoms? Because when they would bring these two families now united in matrimony, what happens to the kingdom? Boom, gets stronger, doesn't it? Because now through flesh and blood, the kingdoms of France, the kingdoms of Spain come together. And they unite and they become, what? Stronger. Notice now, why is Jesus... Conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. No human father. But taking on the flesh of Mary now. In other words, what you have here is the unity of divinity with humanity. They now become one in Jesus Christ. We now, my friends, are privileged. Because of the death of Jesus Christ, who comes into our world, we now have the opportunity to inherit the heavenly kingdom now. That the world of heaven is open to us now, precisely through the death of Jesus Christ. That we are no longer defined by our human dysfunction. No matter where we come from, or how messed up our families are, or how painful it is. Because now, through Jesus Christ, we have inherited a new life. Do you see now, and I'll end here. Notice now, as the angel says to Joseph in a dream, you shall bear a son, you shall name him Jesus. Jesus in the original Aramaic is Yeshua. Yeshua, which literally means God saves. See that? See how beautiful this is? 
when you stare at the nativity scene and in a few short days when I see you at either the 4.30 Mass here or the Midnight Mass in Portola or the 10.30 Mass again in Portola. We'll come together as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father and we shall celebrate God's intervening for all of this is because He comes to save us. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit.